as we look around our culture, our society, we may be tempted to believe that there are really no standards at all. Nothing is a sin. And yet, that's not really true. In fact, our society does have a standard, and there is a sin in our society. There is one thing that in our society is considered the absolute worst sin possible. What is it? Lying, murder, stealing, homosexuality, adultery, abortion? No. The standard in our society is tolerance. And the worst sin, therefore, in our society is judging. The moment you come anywhere near the idea of judging or being judgmental is the moment that someone in our society is going to label you with the term Pharisee, legalistic, callous, uncaring, uncompassioned, hard, harsh. All these types of words get used if in even just the slightest way you remotely appear to be having a judgment about someone. Judging. In fact, this is even impacting religious people. For instance, allow me to share with you a story that I heard once from a sister of ours. She was talking with a co-worker, a man who claimed to be religious, a man who claimed to be a Christian, a man who claimed to be serving and following God. And They were talking about a couple of their friends, two ladies with whom they were acquainted. And the man asked the sister, he said, are they lesbians? And then as if to make sure that, that our friend, our sister, would not remotely think that he was committing the worst sin in our society, he said, no, 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 not, not that there would be anything wrong with it if they were. I was just wondering. You see, here is a man that's religious, a man who claims to serve God and follow his word. And even in his mind, it would be far worse to remotely think that something is wrong than to be committing homosexuality. That's where our society is today. I'd like for us to take a look at that. Is that true? Is that the worst possible sin we could ever commit? Does the Bible say anything about judging and tolerance? And if so, what? Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up and we praise your name because you are awesome and powerful and magnificent. We cannot fathom your greatness. You have created us and we are amazed at your condescension to love us even though we are the creature. And you are the awesome creator. We're thankful for your son who died. And we are so amazed by the grace and mercy that comes through his blood. We're thankful for your spirit who has revealed the word to us that we might know how to serve you. And that we might make right and righteous judgments about our own lives and about the lives and actions of others in the world around us. And we pray that you would be with us. Help us to understand your word. Help us to be tolerant where we are to be tolerant. But help us, Father, to make righteous judgments where we are to make judgments. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. Through your Son, we pray. Amen. You know, it used to be said that John 3.16 was the most well-known and famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody knew that. If you went to a football game or the World Series, you were going to hear about John 3.16. But over the last decade to 20 years, I think it's been replaced with another verse. And that verse is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Judge not, 
that you be not judged. Everybody and his brother knows this verse. And everybody uses this verse to try to condemn even any type of judgment that we might have. The worldly, the falsely religious, even some change agents among our own brethren have latched upon this verse with a vengeance to act as though we should never, ever, ever say anything that against any belief or any idea or any action that to do so would be violating this verse. But was Jesus here in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 actually trying to tell us that we ought not to ever do anything that might be remotely connected to judging? I don't think so. In fact, another verse, John chapter 7 and verse 24 says to us, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Here, Jesus actually commanded us to judge, but he governed that. He said that we're not supposed to judge according to appearances. We're supposed to judge with a right judge, excuse me, a correct judgment. Some translations say righteous judgment. Our judgment, therefore, is to be based upon the standard of God's Word. Having listened and thought and considered what is being said and what is being done based upon the Word of God. We're not supposed to judge with preconceived ideas or prejudged notions. We're not supposed to judge based on appearances. We're supposed to judge a right judgment. In fact, in this context, in John 7, 24, it's in contrast to the judgment the people had just made against Jesus, where they said to him, you have a demon. They had judged without righteous judgment. They hadn't considered things based upon the Word of God. And so Jesus was rebuking them. But notice, he didn't tell them that they shouldn't make judgment. He didn't tell them that they shouldn't ever decide that something is wrong or incorrect or false. And that he didn't even tell them that they should never ever accuse somebody of having a demon. He merely said to them that they need to judge with a right judgment. And this tells us something about Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and following. Jesus was not precluding any and all judgments. Rather, he was talking about our motivation and our attitude. When he said, judge not, that you be not judged, he goes on to talk about the fact that we'll be judged by the standard that we have. He was talking about our motivation and our attitude. In that context, the real point is, is that when we look at folks, and we even see folks that are sinning, our number one desire should be that they are saved. If we are more interested in judging them than we are in saving them, then God is saying he'll be more interested in judging us than in saving us. But I want you to think about that for a moment. Doesn't that in and of itself demand that we make judgments? Because if in the context there he's pointing out that we should be more interested in saving the lost, are we not by that commanded to make judgment about who is lost? Do we not have to have opinions and judgments about who is saved and who is lost in order to want to get the gospel to them so that they'll be saved? So even in Matthew 7 and verse 1, it demands that we make some judgments. And so I'd like for us to consider for a moment how we're going to do that, what our guidelines are in that. As we begin, let's take a look at some definitions. This is from uh, Webster's Encyclopedic Dictionary. Just a few of the definitions for the word judgment or for judge. It says to pass legal judgment on, pass sentence on a person, to form a judgment or opinion of or upon of of or upon, decide upon critically, to decide or decree judicially or authoritatively, to infer, think, or hold as an opinion. Tolerance. 
a fair and objective attitude toward those whose opinions, practices, race, religion, nationality, etc. differ from one's own. Freedom from bigotry. Number two, a fair and objective attitude toward opinions and practices which differ from one's own. Number three, interest in and concern for ideas, opinions, practices, etc. foreign to one's own. A liberal, undogmatic viewpoint. The act or capacity of enduring. Enduring. Just by taking a look at this definition, we learn something. First of all, we learn that when we're talking about judgment and judging and tolerance, we've got to make sure what definition we're actually using. For instance, uh, to pass legal judgment on or pass sentence on, is there any Christian that is able to pass legal judgment on anybody else, casting them into hell or bringing them into heaven? Can any of us do that? Of course not. That's Jesus' job. In John chapter 5 and verse 22, he said that the Father isn't judging, but has handed all judgment over to the Son. Jesus is the one who is doing that. To decide or decree judicially or authoritatively. Is that our position? Do we ever judge in that manner? Well, of course not. Jesus said that all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. We don't make those decisions. Jesus makes those decisions. So if that's what we're talking about, judgment, then no, of course we don't judge. But look at some of these other definitions. Do we ever form judgments or opinions or decide upon critically? Do we infer, think, or hold as an opinion? I suggest we can't possibly do otherwise. Everything we think by that definition is a judgment. Every single one. So of course we do that. So as we consider that definition of judgment and judging, let's consider some biblical guidelines, some things that will help us to judge properly. The very first thing we've already intimated from John chapter 7, John chapter 7 and verse 24. John chapter 7 and verse 24. Remember what Jesus said, don't judge according to appearance, but judge right judgment. We're supposed to judge with right judgment. We're supposed to give consideration to. We're supposed to judge with, with this as our standard, with God's righteousness and His truth as our objective standard. As we consider what someone is doing, what someone is teaching, we are supposed to judge righteousness. And not according to appearances. We're not supposed to just dig deep enough to say, oh, this looks like that. This looks like something that somebody else has done. We're supposed to actually open up the Word of God and consider what it says. We are supposed to judge with a right judgment. We're not to judge with preconceived notions or prejudgment, but we are to judge with right judgment based upon the Word of God. So our opinions, our viewpoints, the inferences that we make, the, the decisions, as we think critically about things, and we make judgments about issues, deciding to do things and not to do things, deciding that somebody is doing something wrong or not doing something wrong, we are supposed to be guided by the righteousness which we read about in God's Word. That's just pretty basic, isn't it? The second thing we recognize is that we need to judge based on Christ's law. And in reality, I'm saying that in contrast to the old law. Look in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, the Scripture there says, Colossians 2.16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He says no one is to pass judgment based upon the old law. 
If we're talking about somebody doing something and, and all we can say about it is, well, there's this passage in the old law that says that's wrong, we've got to be careful there because we're not supposed to judge based upon the old law. That was a shadow of the substance that is to come. We're supposed to make our judgment of what is right and wrong, of what individuals and churches are allowed to do, based upon what we find in the New Testament. Christ's law is our authority for all that we do. And so our judgment should be based upon it. Can we learn from the old law? Certainly. Were those things there written for our learning? Absolutely. But they were not written to be our law. They were not written to be our standard of judgment. So we have to judge right judgment based upon the Word of God and His righteousness. And as we do that, we do it from Christ's law, not Moses' law. Whatever we can learn from Moses' law, it is not our standard. So as we are inferring, as we are thinking critically, as we are reasoning in our minds about what is right and what is wrong, we need to make judgment based upon Christ's will as revealed in the New Testament. Thirdly, we must, and I'm about to get ahead of myself. I almost forgot to make this point. Let me also point this out. We pointed out that Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. How's he going to judge? Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16 says, On that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Christ's law, the gospel that we read about in the New Testament, brethren, is going to be the thing that determines whether or not we spend eternity in heaven or in hell. We make our inferences and our judgments and our critical thinking based upon the will of Christ, and there's a reason why we need to do that. Because when we stand before God in judgment, it's going to be based on that, that He makes His judgment, passing sentence of eternal life or eternal destruction. So it's very important for us to get that right. Because the standard for how we're supposed to be to, to think and act is the standard with which Jesus will pass that sentence of judgment in the end. The third thing that we need to recognize, guidelines for judgment, is that we should not judge where God has not judged. We should not judge where God has not judged. We, when, in seeing John chapter 7 and verse 24, when it talks about judging a right judgment, and we contrast that with what we've read in Matthew chapter 7 and also the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 36 through 38, we find out that, that Jesus' point was not get rid of all judgment, but he was saying, in an essence, don't go beyond what God has judged. Don't add to or take away from what God has done. In fact, Romans chapter 14 and verse 3. Romans chapter 14 and verse 3 demonstrates that to us. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 3, Paul wrote, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. In Romans chapter 14, Paul points out that there are going to be some times when there are some things that you do that I won't do and some things that I do that you won't do. And yet those are from our own conscience and not based upon the standard of God. Even things that have some religious implications. And what he points out is that in those cases, we're not supposed to pass judgment. We're not supposed to add to the law of God and, and, and hold a judgment against somebody just because they won't do things exactly the way we do. We can't go beyond what God has said. We have to have, thus saith the Lord, our judgment has to be based on God's judgment. There may be some things that we don't do, that we decide for whatever reason, maybe because of our background. Who knows? But, but the point being that unless we can go to the Word of God and demonstrate what He has decreed about the thing, we're not supposed to pass judgment. We need to understand that. Number four, 
we are supposed to judge who is faithful to the Lord. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 15. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 15, Lydia said after she was baptized, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. In this statement, we find out that Lydia understood that we are supposed to judge who is faithful to the Lord and who is not faithful to the Lord. Paul recognized that he was supposed to judge who is faithful to the Lord and who is not faithful to the Lord. And interestingly, within this context, it even demonstrates that our associations and our relationships are supposed to be based on that judgment. She says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay with me. In other words, if he made the judgment that she wasn't faithful to the Lord, he wasn't supposed to go and stay with her. Do you understand that? Isn't that amazing? Here is a judgment. And we have to pass that judgment. We have to make that judgment. We have to decide based upon what we've learned from the Word of God, if someone is faithful to the Lord or not, and we as individual Christians, our relationships are going to be based upon that, and especially as congregations. Congregations have to make the judgment if somebody is faithful to the Lord or not. Now listen, I understand this. We can all make mistakes. The fact that I think someone is faithful to the Lord does not mean they're saved and right with God. And the fact that I think someone is not faithful to the Lord does not mean that they are not right with God. But even though we can make mistakes, the Bible demonstrates that we still have to make judgments. In fact, brethren, the reality is we make those judgments, whether we think we are or not. It often amazes me that folks will sit there and if you say that something is wrong, They'll accuse you of judging. But because they think it's right, they're not judging. Is it not just as much a judgment to say that something or someone is right as it is to say that something or someone is wrong? That's just as much a judgment. That is just as much an opinion. That is just as much an inference and and reasoning to determine what you think is right or wrong. It's just as much judgment to say it's right as it is wrong. So, listen, we're making these judgments whether we think we are or not. We can't get away from it. We can't stop judging. We just have to make sure that our judging, our opinion, our critical thinking is based upon God's Word determining who is faithful to the Lord based on what He said. And and really, we need to do that because in the end, that's what Jesus is going to judge them based on. We're not going to pass the sentence But if we foot through life just acting like everything's okay and nobody's wrong and they stand before God in judgment and He says, well, let me pull out out the Scripture, let me pull out the Gospel and see who lives by that, what good is it going to do them if we spend all our life saying, oh, I'm not going to judge who's faithful to the Lord. And the fifth thing we need to recognize is that there should be, as we're doing all of this, no hypocritical judgment. Romans chapter 2 and verse 1 demonstrates that. Romans chapter 2 And verse 1 demonstrates, Therefore you have no excuse. This is Romans 2.1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Here's the point. When I sit to judge someone else for an action, that same judgment is also looking at me. If I'm going to say that it's wrong for you, it's wrong for me. I can't condemn you as doing something wrong if I'm living like it's right. I'm judging myself 
as well. Basically, the point is we've got to clean up our own house before we start trying to clean up everybody else's. Now, don't misunderstand. This is not saying that if you've ever sinned, you're not allowed to judge that someone is wrong. If that were the case, then none of us could live by the rest of this teaching that we've already found from the Word because we've all sinned. The issue here is, is that when I am pointing out that something is wrong to you, I am pointing out that it's wrong for me as well. And I have to live by that. Those who say that stealing is wrong, do they steal? Those are the things that we have to consider. Those who say that lying is wrong, do they lie? That's what's being pointed out here. So yes, we have to judge. We have to judge with right judgment. We have to judge based on Christ's law. We have to judge, excuse me, we shouldn't judge where God is not judged. And we do have to make judgments about who is faithful to the Lord. And as we do that, we must not do it with hypocrisy. We must do it with sincerity based upon the Word of God, applying the same standard to our lives as we apply to others. But what about tolerance? Some principles of tolerance as we think about these things. When are we supposed to be tolerant, and when are we supposed to be intolerant? And again, this also depends on which definition of the word that we're using. Insofar as we're using the word tolerant to mean being fair and objective with others, I think we recognize that, that we have to have tolerance with everyone and all. We must consider other people's opinions fairly and objectively. Remember, John chapter 7 and verse 24, basically kind of our, our guiding principle for the, for the lesson tonight. John 7, 24, don't judge according to appearance, but judge with right judgment. What have we said about that? That means that we don't judge with a preconceived idea. We don't prejudge, but rather we need to consider the opinions and thoughts of others fairly and objectively. We need to listen. We need to hear without having a prejudgment. And I know that's not easy. I know that sometimes somebody says something and immediately it, it puts us on our guard and it's hard for us to do that. But yes, we have to have this tolerance for all people of all faiths, of all beliefs, no matter who they are, no matter how old they are, or young they are, how black they are, or how white they are, or how rich they are, or how poor they are, how spiritual they are, or how worldly we are, they are. They need, we need to consider their opinions fairly and objectively. Now having done that, we may consider it fairly and objectively and hear all the information and when we are done, judge it to be wrong. But we've at least listened fairly and objectively. We may have to, in the end, say, no, I've listened, I've heard, I've understood, but I still think you're in error. I just can't do that. We may have to do that. But, but we've had the tolerance that Jesus demands that of being fair and objective, judging with the right judgment, not judging according to appearances. Insofar as by tolerance we mean the idea of enduring with and coexisting with, then once again we find out that we're going to be tolerant of all kinds of things because we can't force anyone to agree with us. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 I think actually demonstrates this principle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, Paul said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. The reality is the only consistent way to be completely intolerant of all sin is we're just going to have to leave the world. And we can't do that. So what does that mean? That means we are going to endure all manner of evil, all manner of falsehood, all kinds of things. We're going to coexist with people who disagree. We can't get out of that. That's just going to happen. 
what we learn is I can't force somebody. I can't make somebody believe something they don't want to believe. I can't make somebody agree with something they don't want to agree with. I can't make somebody practice something they don't want to practice. The Scripture is clear and demonstrates that it's not our job to take up arms to try to force everybody to become Christians. Our job is to get out and teach them. And yes, we want to persuade them to obey the will of God. We hope that they will listen fairly and objectively to us, even though most of them don't. We hope that they will listen fairly and objectively to us so that they might be persuaded to come to the truth. But we're not going to go about beating them. We're not going to go about punishing them simply because they don't agree with us. We can't force them. Instead, we have to tolerate that. And so because of that, we're going to endure all manner of immorality around us. Because of that, we're going to endure persecution and hardship and sin from folks in the world around us. We can't help but do that because the only way to, to, to avoid that is to leave the world. And so if we're talking about tolerance in the sense of enduring and coexisting even though we don't want to, then yes, we are going to have to be tolerant of all manner of things. But there's one place where we can't be tolerant. And that is we cannot be tolerant of impenitence within Christ's body. We can't be tolerant of unrepented sin within the body of Christ. In fact, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 5, and by the way, let me highlight, notice what I said, unrepented sin, impenitence. Obviously, we tolerate a lot of sin from each other because we all do it. But as we're striving to grow in Christ, we're seeking forgiveness and we're growing. But for those who are going to bow their back against God, who are going to rebel against Him and say, I'm going to do this and it's just tough for you. We can't tolerate that. In fact, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let's read a little bit more of that context. Look back up to verse 7. There Paul said, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside Purge the evil person from among you. Paul points out that the church needs to judge and discipline those who sin impenitently within the body of Christ. Jesus talked about how this is supposed to work in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 15, Jesus said, If your brother sins, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If we see someone and, and, and it, it appears that they are sinning, we're supposed to go to them and talk to them about that. And if we find that indeed they are sinning and they won't repent, then we're supposed to take two or three with us. Uh, one or two with us, so that we can have two or three witnesses, and if they still won't listen, then we take it to the church. And if they still won't listen, then discipline is to be taken. 
and they are withdrawn, and we withdraw the association, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We we don't like doing this today. Because even in faithful bodies of Christ, we said, oh, we're not supposed to judge anybody. But what Paul has pointed out by revelation from Jesus Christ is that we are not to be tolerant of impenitent sin within our midst, but rather we're to purge out the old leaven so that we can celebrate Jesus in truth and in sincerity. And so what do we learn, brethren? We learn that despite the fact that within our society to judge is the worst sin ever, that the one standard is tolerance of all things, except, of course, those who might be remotely intolerant, that in fact God has commanded us at times to be intolerant. He has taught us to judge. But let's make sure that we judge with the right judgment based upon the Word of God, listening fairly and objectively, and comparing all that we hear, see, and do with what God has revealed through the law of Christ. When judgment is necessary, we will judge a right judgment. When tolerance is dictated by God's will, we will tolerate. We will tolerate. But whether tolerance or judgment, we do it all based upon God's Word.